I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 10 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't fear the big, bad federal government. Last week, I told you about the power of non-cooperation. I made the case that states can rein in overreaching federal power simply by refusing to help the feds implement and enforce their laws, rules, regulations, mandates, and programs. The simple fact is the federal government lacks the resources to do everything it wants to do alone. It depends on state personnel and state resources, and the states can simply say, nope, Not going to help. Do it yourself. Oh, and good luck with that. The case for non-cooperation is rock solid. For all practical purposes, states have nullified federal marijuana prohibition. The laws are still on the books, but the feds can't enforce them. Nullification works, but one thing constantly holds us back. Fear. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a radio show talking about a new Arizona law that prohibits the state from cooperating with the implementation or enforcement of Obamacare. It's a powerful law, and if other states adopt similar policies, it could lead to a complete collapse of the unconstitutional federal health care scheme. The repeal most Americans want, but Congress will never give them. So I'm on this show talking about how Arizona has laid a great foundation that other states should follow, and two people call in. They weren't enthusiastic at all. They were both scared. Both of these callers came up with all kinds of reasons the law won't work. They were both convinced the feds are going to cut federal funding to Arizona because it's refusing to cooperate with the health care program. It was all doomsday scenarios. No matter how hard I tried to convince them, they refused to believe we could actually roll back this federal program through state action. These two guys were terrified of the federal government. And they're not alone. I run into this phenomenon all the time, and I think it is one of the biggest hurdles we need to get over if we are ever going to successfully put the feds back in their constitutionally prescribed box. Fear is a powerful weapon, one the federal government wields with precision. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, and you should if you haven't, you will remember me telling you about the federal marijuana raids in Colorado a few weeks before recreational weed became legal in that state. The Fed spent a tremendous amount of money and all kinds of resources just to impact 3% of the medical marijuana business in a single city, 
in a single state. From a practical standpoint, they accomplished very little. But the timing of the raids, just six weeks before the first retail marijuana outlets were scheduled to open in Colorado, was obviously meant to send a message. The feds flexed their muscles, hoping it would intimidate marijuana businesses to stay in line, and maybe even scare some folks out of the business altogether. Fear tactics work. We saw some of it from commenters who chimed in on the article we wrote reporting these Colorado raids. It was just like the callers into the radio show. It was all negative, full of what-ifs. One reader asked, what if the feds target grow operations? Then they could really shut things down. Could they? Really? How many grow operations are there in all 25 states with legal medical marijuana? Hundreds, maybe thousands. The feds simply don't have the resources to shut them all down. But they want you to think they do. They want you scared. When I hear people start in with this pessimistic what-if questions, I can almost guarantee they're scared. When I talk about cutting off water to the NSA facility in Utah, people ask, well, what if they just take it anyway? When Texas was considering a bill to stop TSA groping a couple of years ago, people ask, what if the feds turn Texas into a no-fly zone? That question was enough to make the Texas Senate back down. Or the most common what if, the one voiced by my radio show callers, what if the federal government cuts off our funding to punish us for standing up to them? It's fear. Look, you can't live your life in fear of the what if. If you do, you will accomplish nothing. You will become paralyzed and ineffective. And that's what they want. They depend on that fear because, again, and I can't emphasize this enough, the feds do not have the resources to stop us when states refuse to cooperate with them. Their real power lies only in the fear they create. But people believe the myth. They cower under the what-ifs. They're paralyzed into inaction. Okay, so maybe they're right. Maybe the feds are all-powerful. Maybe they can stop any attempt to rein in their power. But the truth is, the evidence doesn't support the myth. Consider the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit. Nobody liked it. But the busybodies in D.C. decided it was necessary for highway safety and energy conservation. So in 1974, Congress established the 55-mile-per-hour maximum speed limit. Now, it didn't mandate that the states implement it. It knew it constitutionally couldn't do that. But it threatened to cut federal highway funds if more than 50% of the drivers on state highways exceeded that limit. Of course, as time went on, more and more drivers personally nullified that federal law. On top of that, state enforcement became more and more lax. In some cases, the lack of enforcement was due to resource limitations. In others, it was intentional. By the mid-1980s, it became clear the speed limit was a farce. A 1986 Sun-Sentinel story highlighted the virtual nullification of the speed limit by the general public and by state governments. Now, this is where your perpetual pessimist would predict a federal crackdown. Did it happen? No. As the Sun-Sentinel reported at the time, quote, Despite a legal requirement to withhold federal highway funds from states where more than 50% of drivers exceed the limit, the U.S. Department of Transportation has yet to impose any penalties. End quote. The article goes on and highlights the many states not in compliance and noted that even more were within tenths of a percent from the naughty zone. 
Quote, but many other states reported percentages that were only slightly under 50%, and drivers in most states appeared to be ignoring the speed limit on most highways. End quote. Now, interestingly, research indicates that aggressive enforcement does lower speeds on highways. So clearly, the states weren't enforcing 55. In fact, a Philadelphia Inquirer article published in 1986 indicated that the rate of noncompliance was even higher than reported because states simply cooked the books. The reporter looked at numbers from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Quote, the percentages in all three states, by an initial reckoning, had actually been in excess of 50%, but the numbers were adjusted downward through the use of statistical formulas. End quote. Eric Bolton, spokesman for the Federal Highway Administration, said pretty much every state was in noncompliance. Quote, I would say virtually every state is over the 50% figure in the initial data submitted to the FHA. End quote. Did the federal government crack down? Did it yank highway funding to force compliance? Did it send in the Army to enforce the speed limit? Nope. In 1987, the feds quietly began raising the speed limit. Americans nullified. The feds backed down. That's how it works. Sure, I know the feds can sting us. There's always a risk when facing down a bully. You might get punched. You just might face some consequences for standing up for your rights. But you can't let that fear stop you. I have to admit, the constant cowering at the mere mention of federal power frustrates me. Americans are better than that. We have resistance to power in our DNA. Just think about those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They had plenty to fear. They had much to lose. They were defying the most powerful empire on the planet. But they did it anyway. You know, when you think about it, it's really pretty sad that today's so-called patriot is afraid of losing a little federal funding. It brings to mind that quote by Samuel Adams, If ye love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. I really appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at iTunes. And do me a favor, spread the word. Feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. That's michael.m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.